Good morning, Life Point. It's good to be with you this morning. And today I want to take us one last time to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. And I want to finish up our series that we've been in this summer. The Messiah has come, the Christ of God. I'm going to read, first of all, from verses 23 through 25 of Matthew 4. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. May God bless the reading the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of His Word today. You know, throughout the first four chapters of Matthew's Gospel, what we've been surveying and studying this summer, we've seen uh, the Christ of God who came to us under the veil of miraculous virginity, who was held secure by the sovereign provision of the Father, who was identified by the divine appointment of the prophet John the Baptist, and who was introduced by the glorious proclamation of God the Father Himself. And so as we come, we see at the end of this introductory portion of the gospel, an introduction not only to Jesus, but to His kingdom mission while He was here on earth. That was the message that Jesus preached when He came. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He introduced a new kingdom a new uh, view of the world, a new view of life, a new realm in which we live our lives under His Lordship. And today, I want us to see three key aspects of this kingdom. And let me tell you why. Because, you know, when when I was in uh, high school and played a few sports, not many, but a few, uh, there were, there were three uh, aspects to those sports uh, that, that helped me kind of learn what they were. And one of them, the first one was when we would arrive to the first practice that day, we, we would show up all decked out and ready, clean uniforms, not had any dirt on them, and, and all of our uh, you know, equipment was brand new. And we'd show up, and the coach would look completely unimpressed, and he'd go, you know, why don't you throw that on the bench and lap the field three times? That, that was the most discouraging moment of any season in sports. But, you know, conditioning's important because it's by conditioning we get ready to play the game, right? But once we finished our conditioning and we were exhausted as we got back to the dugout, the coach would go, okay, now, uh, and he would assign each of us to a position and, and we'd begin to, to run, scrim, uh, uh, run drills, rather. And so we would do the same mindless thing over and over and over and over again. And sometimes we would get kind of severely punished if uh, we kept making the same mistakes, right? We might revert back to conditioning and then back to drills. The third aspect of of those sports, though, for us were scrimmage. And for me, this was my favorite part of practice, really uh, of overall my favorite part, because in scrimmaging, you got to display the greatness of your skills and your abilities brought all together. And while the coach failed to recognized those most times. At least my mother was always impressed. So with that said, it was those three aspects that I really learned sports in whatever sports that we participated in. 
And the three aspects that we see in this passage here today help us learn not only what the kingdom is all about, but what it means to live in Jesus' kingdom. And so today we bring Matthew's introduction to Jesus' kingdom together. And he shows us that Jesus is our hope and our help in the world when we trust and obey Him. And what I really want you to see today is this, that Jesus is the Christ who came that we might believe in Him to receive forgiveness of our sin and eternal life in His kingdom. We've said this every week over and over and over again. Jesus is the Christ. And with that anointed title, He is the one who fulfills all of God's promise of Messiah. We receive the forgiveness of our sin and the eternal life to live in His kingdom. And in these three short verses, we look at three key aspects of God's kingdom in Christ and His redemptive plan as it advances. The first kingdom aspect that we see today is is that of mission. Look at verse 20. Excuse me, 23 with us. And it said, He went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, and healing every disease. This was the mission compiled. The mission is is made up of Jesus' three defining practices of His work here on earth. And the first of those is the practice of teaching. It tells us that Jesus had the the practice of going into the synagogue uh, to where the Jewish leaders were leading the people the people he was supposed to be coming to, and he began to teach them. Now, the word here is a simple word for instruct, and and it has an emphasis on uh, moral teaching. And so he was instructing them, obviously, about the law of God, and he was helping them understand the instruction of that. His introduction to his kingdom didn't come with great fanfare or trickery or entertainment, but with simple instruction into the law of God so people could understand it and ultimately so they could obey it. He contrasted in all of his teaching and he countered both perversions of the law. Surely Jesus began in the synagogues where the greatest amount of perversion in teaching was being uh, applied. And, and his first uh, counter to the perversion of law was to confront legalism. To confront legalism where it was. You see, legalism tells us that we can earn our righteousness. And then his other uh, contrast was that of licentiousness. That, that completely dismissed any need for, unrighteous, or for righteousness. And so he reveals that, that righteousness only comes by faith. And that it empowers us to walk in obedience to God. You see, Jesus held knowing right from wrong in high priority. And he established that, but he established a source outside of ourself that, that was our righteousness and, and a, a source outside or above religion that would serve as our moral compass. You see, what Jesus came teaching was to show how the perfect law of God rightly understood through the lens of perfect love, what we know to be the gospel, is what brings our righteousness by faith and divine power to walk in obedience to Him. And so the first practice that Jesus introduces His mission by is that of teaching. Correcting the errors where we try to default to ourself to establish our own righteousness 
where we try to default to religion to establish our own righteousness or where we dismiss righteousness altogether through uh, licentiousness. The second practice was not only did he come teaching, but he came preaching. Now, alongside teaching, preaching is, is, is where we take teaching to that level of, of transforming beyond only informing. You see, mission in God's kingdom is not just about intellectual information, but it's about persuasion and ultimately about transformation. For the gospel is not mere data to digest or principles to apply, but the gospel is good news. It is news to be heard and to be believed. This is good news more than any other and and more glorious than any other in any other way. You see, when the Bible is taught that, but in a way that is absent of the gospel, this is what makes religion. And in this teaching of the Bible that is absent of the gospel, man is summoned to a false righteousness by looking within himself, by stoking his own pride, by trusting in human means that produce within him a false glory of self-righteousness. He becomes entrenched in his own abilities. But the problem is that he becomes crushed also under the full weight of the law's condemnation because he knows his own righteousness is not sufficient. And that's what religion tries to teach us. And that's what we create when we teach the Bible without the gospel. Now, when we proclaim the good news, but it is absent of the scripture, we create the deception of self-righteousness. In self-righteousness, man becomes excused from any unrighteousness. His own pride is coddled in self-centered pleasure or self-centered preference so that he learns to tolerate, to accept, and to embrace sin by championing a false love. God doesn't care that I sin. He loves me anyway. And God gets reduced. He no longer rejects or excuse me, he no longer is judged because of his sin. And he dismisses any value of righteousness uh, that we do not have. But the problem with self-righteousness is that it only further incarcerates us and fortifies us in that prison of sin's condemnation. We know because of our own sin and the guilt that it places upon us, our righteousness is not sufficient. But friends, when the gospel is preached, as Jesus came and showed to us, it centers all biblical teaching and preaching. For Jesus is exalted as Lord and Savior. Faith comes by hearing the word proclaimed, the scriptures tells us. Hope springs forth anew from within by the Holy Spirit. Sin is confessed as wickedness against God. The blood of Jesus is then applied to us for the forgiveness of that sin. And it cleanses our conscience and we receive His righteousness and His Holy Spirit. And we are welcomed into God's power to walk in obedience for the holiness of life and the godliness of of our living we enter into his kingdom which is a kingdom of peace of love and of joy and we know it because the presence of god has not only put it upon us in jesus but put it within us by his holy spirit you see this is the gospel friends 
The gospel of Jesus Christ is glorious. It is the culminating center for the all of Bible teaching, and it is the motivating catalyst as well for all ministry. And that's what Jesus shows us here by his third practice. Not only did he come teaching and preaching, but he came, it says, healing in verse 23. Now this word for healing simply means to heal And it's conceived of as providing a care in order to improve the situation in whom received the ministry. And so in describing Jesus' ministry, Matthew includes here a list of things that that are acts both of physical and spiritual healing. And it's a movement from the present circumstance to an overall greater state of wholeness and well-being. In other places, Matthew uses the same words for general acts of ministry. Surely what Jesus was doing here is, is, is extreme. But it can be used not only for the extremities of what we see Jesus doing, but also for the most basic acts of serving in general. You see, what we see is that Jesus introduces the kingdom mission by ministering to people in a manner that was distinct to His authority. That was distinct to His purpose and to His calling And it shows us that gospel-centered ministry is essential to kingdom mission. He came teaching. He came preaching. He came healing. You see, the key to understand what Matthew reveals about Jesus' focus for kingdom ministry is to center on what is revealed to us. Far too often we reduce ministry to personal affinities, personal preferences above spiritual needs so that anything that becomes a tangible good deed is qualified as ministry and we can check that box off. But that's not what Jesus introduces to us here. That's not what Matthew shows us about Jesus' ministry. Rather, gospel ministry should never be less than good deeds like feeding the poor or addressing issues of injustice or, or uh, any other uh, means of meeting the tangible needs of people. These are all good and worthy endeavors. But gospel ministry addresses the whole per- person, moving them from where they are to a wholeness of their very being and it is joined in doing so with a faithful witness. You see, friends, we may offer a million cups of cold water and quench a lot of thirst, and there is value in that, but only the cup of water offered in Jesus' name can impact the whole being of a person's life. It is important that we feed the hungry, clothe the naked, give water to the thirsty as much as we are able. For we see all of these in the Gospel of Matthew later. And it tells us that where we encounter and minister to the least of these in Jesus' name, we actually minister to Jesus. But friends, all of these things should also be a threshold for us to introduce people not just to food, but to the one who is the bread of life. Not just to water, but the one who is living water. Not just to clothes and physical needs, but the one who clothes us with righteousness from on high. Whatever you do, Christian, remember, it is what is done in Jesus' name, a good deed with a faithful witness that will eternally impact people's lives and do so every day. 
time. Kingdom ministry is always accompanied by gospel sharing. And so we see that the mission of Jesus' kingdom, this first aspect is a spirit-synergized advancement when the teaching and the preaching together compel a people to a ministry that engages others with the reality of and the eternal hope of Jesus in our life. Well, Jesus' message was not just a, a vain promise for sure. It was more like a power punch of glory, something people had never seen before. And everyone who encountered him echoed the same thing. We've never heard anything like this man. We've never seen anything like the works that he does. But what was it that was so distinct about his kingdom? Well, that's where we come to the second aspect of his kingdom And we find that in verse 24. Matthew in verse 24 goes on, So his fame spread throughout. Fame. Fame is highly valued in our world today, is it not? I mean, what Matthew introduces for us here would be tantamount to a trending topic or a hashtag on any of our news feeds today. Jesus was the one and everybody was talking about him. But you see, there's one distinction about Jesus that is critical for us to understand as the second aspect of his kingdom. And this is that, that Jesus is the only person whose fame was completely deserved, absolutely deserved, but never fully equaled his actual worth. You think about that for a moment. Every accolade he received, every applause that uh, followed his words or his deeds, every word that was spoken of him was completely deserved by him and because of him. But none of it fully measured up to the wholeness of his worth. You see, Jesus came for revelation though, not for validation. Jesus didn't do what he was doing to build his platform or to increase his followers in the way that we do today. What Jesus came for was to reveal that he was the Christ of God. He didn't depend on fame to build his platform. Rather, he advanced his ministry by his authority. And friends, that's the second key aspect of Jesus' kingdom is not only his mission and the distinct nature within which he pursued it, but his authority with which he introduced the kingdom. We've learned in this world that platforms will get you high. And we've seen plenty of people enjoy the rush of their height. But they will never get you far. And they will never allow you into the areas that threaten their security or threaten their stability. Many of us will go silent when we think it might cost us a few followers. But Jesus was never silent about the things that he had come to reveal to people. You see, friends, what we see in Jesus is that his authority advanced everywhere that its scope ruled. Everywhere. Jesus was never threatened by the threats of the religious leaders, by those who said they would take his life. As a matter of fact, early on in his ministry, when they heard him preach, they became so enraged at him. Yes, a rage culture, a cancel culture, just like we're living in today, that they took him to the edge of a cliff and were going to kill him. But in that moment, he walked through the crowd untouched. Why? Because of his authority. Because his time had not yet come. And there was nothing that anyone 
could do about it. You see, friends, the second aspect of Jesus' kingdom is this. There is no limit to the scope of His authority. Have you recognized that? That there is nowhere that the authority of Jesus does not permeate and pervade with light. Consider what comprises his fame and then consider how he responded with his authority. Matthew records this, that the world's demand was pressed upon him and it was that demand that Jesus responded to. Matthew records, and they brought him all and it begins to describe the different kinds of illnesses and sicknesses and um, all of the spiritual disease that were brought to him. And this is what it says of what Jesus did in responding to the world's demand. He healed them. Don't let that pass you up, friends. Take a moment to let the gravity of Jesus' authority settle in. The world's demand brought all of the sick, of those afflicted with various diseases, of the pains, of those oppressed by demons, of those having seizures and paralytic. You see, what what Matthew's saying is not every person who was infected or inflicted in that day actually came to Jesus. But what he is showing to us here is that there was not one that came that Jesus wasn't fully authorized to respond faithfully to. Nothing was brought to Jesus that he did not demonstrate complete authority over. There was no problem. There was no illness. There was no sickness. There was no disease. There was no genetic imperfection. There was no rejection. There was no cancellation. There was no oppression that stepped before him on that day. There was no act of injustice. There was no wrong that Jesus faced. And he did not perfectly absolve for the healing and for the well-being of the person who was afflicted. Listen, friends. Who are the them That Jesus healed all of them. All that the crowd brought to Jesus, He healed. Matthew records in this situation, an overwhelming demand met by an unthreatened authority. That's powerful for you and I, friends. You see, Jesus' authority is supreme over every realm and every sphere, over every situation, over every season of life, both on earth and beyond this world for eternity. The toll of the COVID pandemic in which we find ourselves, I, I believe it's only beginning. We're only beginning to see all that will unfurl uh, upon people and the weight of what they're dealing with. I've watched as, as people in the church, but also as leaders of the church, suffer under the weight of demand in this time that is being placed upon them. And so often it comes by surprise and it's a, a, an invisible weight and yet it's very real. So sadly, so many are not surviving. 
And admittedly, these are days when it feels like it takes till noon for me just to get my shoes tied. Like the same exercises are compounded in their difficulty and their challenge. The weight can feel so heavy. The voices can clamor so loudly. The information is so unrelenting and and confusing. It teaches us that the crowd can be so demanding. Yet when I read this verse, I'm reminded. And praise God, I, I want you to hear this today, friends. Jesus is not overwhelmed. He's not threatened at all. He's ready. He's willing. He's able. His energy is not exhausted. His power is not weakened. His resources are not depleted. His mercy and His grace is not lessening. His love is in no way diminishing. And all of this is true because His authority is sufficient. It is under absolutely no threat whatsoever. The kingdom mission of the Lord Jesus Christ advances because His authority is without compare and cannot be overwhelmed. Friends, Jesus is the Lord of all creation. And even as I speak those words, I know such a minuscule scope of all that they truly mean. He is the Lord over every natural and supernatural law. He is Lord over every physical and spiritual principle and every precept of all that operates in this world and any other rule or sphere or realm. His authority is sovereign, both in its rule and its reign. And you, friend, in your life, You are no exception to His authority. You will not be the one who is outside of the all that are brought to Him. Nothing in your life holds any exception to Jesus' authority. He is able if you will simply come to Him. The second key aspect of Jesus' kingdom is not only the mission of teaching and preaching and healing that He brings But it is the scope of His authority and where He is able to bring wholeness and wellness, to bring eternal life by the forgiveness of our sins. And that leads us to the third aspect we see in verse 25. You see, Matthew records that great crowds followed Him. Jesus had more followers than any other. I don't know if they understood this in that day. I think they did. But surely we shouldn't let it pass us by again today. We should let that sink in for a moment. But that people followed Him did not mean that they knew Him. We're confronted by a great spectrum of contrast in these short verses. We see on the one end those who hated Jesus... They opposed Him and they actively worked to discredit Him in front of others. This was at best 10% by the religious leaders, maybe not even that many. On the other end of the spectrum, we see those who loved Jesus. They believed what He said, they trusted Him to every extent, and they followed Him no matter 
where he called them to go. They laid down their life to follow him because they knew that he was worthy. This is at most probably 10%, maybe not that many of the whole of the people who followed him, but these were his true disciples in that day. And in between the two extremes of the spectrum, we have the crowd. Everybody else that was there when Jesus was there. It is the vast, overwhelming majority of people. And listen, let me tell you about these people really briefly. Most of them didn't hate him. Most of them didn't just loathe the very essence of his aura or being. As a matter of fact, they didn't feel much of anything for him, but they were entertained by him. They were impressed by him and wondered if he could do for them what he was doing for others. You see, they didn't hate him, but they hadn't believed to trust and obey either. And when asked in my own life of someone else, do you love me? If they were to reply, well, I don't hate you, I'm not strangely comforted by that. Neither are any others. And so we see in the midst of the two extremes of the spectrum how Jesus embraced the majority of those who were around him. Because neutrality and passivity towards Jesus is the same as rejection of him. For you must believe in Him in order to receive the forgiveness of your sins and the eternal life that He brings. And friends, this is the third aspect of the kingdom that Jesus offered to the crowd. It was the invitation to receive Him. Believe was His message. So that we can repent of our sin, so that we can receive forgiveness of our sin and His eternal life. Life. You see, friends, it's not enough to remain just part of the crowd. Jesus does not call us to simply follow along. He calls us to follow and be made. That's what He is calling us to. And as long as you remain in the crowd, you remain far from God. No matter how close or how well you try to walk in His ways, you must believe so that you will repent of your sin, receive forgiveness, Trust in Him as Lord and follow Him with your life. The kingdom of God has come in Jesus Christ. And His invitation is to enter by faith in the One who is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Himself. Friends, Jesus is the Christ who came that we might believe in Him to receive forgiveness of our sin and eternal life in His kingdom. Do you know Him today? Have you heard His call and and received His invitation for the forgiveness of your sin and the new life that He brings? If you haven't, I want to invite you to do that today. Just wherever you are, just bow your head, close your eyes, and say, God, I believe that Jesus is your Son. I believe that you sent Him to this world as your Christ that He died on the cross for my sins, and that He rose again to bring new life. Please forgive me of my sin. Come and live in my life. Friends, if that's the prayer that you know you need to pray today, I encourage you, I urge you to pray that prayer. And then I invite you, would you, would you contact us? 
Here at the church, let us follow up with you. Let us help you understand what it means to become a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We're praying for you. We want to help you in any way that we can. We love you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. And Father, in all ways, at all times, may the name of Jesus be made known. For he has come to clarify where we have perverted your word and your rule. And he has brought with him as his own self the good news of what it means to know God. May we hear his call today, respond to his invitation in faith, and receive the forgiveness of sins and the eternal life that only he can give. In Jesus' name, amen.